Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. Welcome to our teaching today. I'm Ken Bear, one of the pastors at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of faith dialogue. And we're in the parables. Uh, today we begin our discussion of the third parable in the 15th chapter of Luke. The 15th chapter of Luke has, has three parables. Um, as you recall, we talked about the parable of the lost sheep. And then we talked about the parable of the lost coin. And today's parable could be called the parable of the lost son. You likely know it as the parable of the prodigal son. And we're going to kind of break this parable up into most likely two sessions. Today's session and then next week's session. Now, the context of this parable, uh, we've already said, is found in the very beginning of the 15th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. In the 15th chapter of the Gospel of Luke, in the very first verse, um, it says that... Um, it says the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling. Now, why were they grumbling? Well, they were grumbling because the tax collectors and the sinners had been flocking to Jesus. And not only were they flocking to Jesus, but Jesus was, was welcoming them and, and talking with them and, and spending time with them. And in the verse 1 of chapter 15, it says this. It says, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Now, this is something that Jesus openly admitted. In fact, this is what his, his ministry was about. He said he didn't come to, to the righteous, but to the sinners. That's what Jesus' ministry was all about. Um, see, now all of this is true, and actually that gives us great hope. Because all of us, you and I, we're all sinners. Now the Pharisees and the Sadducees, these scribes, uh, they didn't believe that they were sinners. They thought they were the paragon of virtue. Uh, that they were beyond all of that. So they looked down at their nose at Jesus because he was, he was spending time with them. But you know what the truth is? The truth is that they were jealous of Jesus. They were jealous of Jesus for two main reasons. Number one was that people were flocking to him. They were listening to him. And the other thing is, is the Bible says that he taught with authority, not like the scribes and the Pharisees. So we find that all three of these parables are, are similar. And the response is actually similar as well. The lesson is very similar, although it's, it's just a slightly different, especially in this, this final parable. The same point is always made. And the reason is, is because Jesus associated with sinners and he came to seek and to save that which was lost. See, all three of these parables have to do with something that is lost. A lost sheep, a lost coin, and now a lost son. And that was the ministry of Jesus. So we come to this, this third story, which is really the, the main parable. Uh, we've seen the search and recovery for a lost sheep, the search and recovery for a lost coin, and now the recovery of the lost son. It's intended to demonstrate the same thing. The joy that God has over the recovery of a, of a lost sinner. This story goes way beyond that because it also, in this story, identifies what true repentance is all about. The first two stories about the sheep and the goat emphasize God as the, as the seeker. 
It wasn't the sheep that went searching for the shepherd. It wasn't the coin that raised up its head and said, hey, I'm lost. It was the, it, they, they didn't take an active role in it. Uh, we'll take a look in this kingdom what it means to be repentant in the kingdom of God. Now, this, is a, this, this story is a dramatic story. Uh, this is a, a very moving story. It's deeply interesting and impactful on the thinking of anyone that's really gripped by divine truth. This parable falls into, into three sections, as I mentioned before, it, because it has three main characters, the younger son, uh, the father, and then the older son. You know, I love it when scripture lends itself easily to, to three parts. You know, the, the, every story has a beginning, a middle, and an ending. And a story like this that has three characters, well, it's, it's easy to remember, easy to remember. In the same way, every good story has three good examples. So let's begin with the younger son, this prodigal son. And we open the story of the younger son. I want you to think about two things. Keep two things in mind as I, as I read this story to you. First, listen for the younger son's request, and then listen to his journey. So let me read to you these just eight verses today. It's not the entire parable, it's just eight verses, and, but I won't leave you completely hanging because at the end I'll, I'll paraphrase the rest of it just so that you make sure that you have the entire story in focus. So this is what it says beginning in verse 11. And he said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his, feeds, in his fields to feed swine. And we, he would have gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, but no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So you may remember the rest of the story, as we'll be looking at over the next week or so. But let me summarize it for you. This prodigal son finds his way back to his father's house, and he's ready to go back to be just one of the servants. His father, who sees him coming from afar off, rushes to greet him, and he treats him as a, as a son who was lost but finally has returned. In fact, the father throws a party for him. Now, there are actually two sons, and the older son is out in the fields, and here's the commotion, and he gets really upset with his father, and he tells him that. Uh, he basically says that his father's priorities aren't right, that he had been working and spending all this time, uh, but his father uh, responds to him in kindness, and, and there's the end of the story. So, so we begin with the story of the two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. Now we'll stop there for just a moment. So let's keep in mind that this first son is not the only character. There are two sons. So the parable could have been called the tale of two sons. 
uh, that's important when we actually talk about the estate, the, this inheritance. It's not really the tale of just this one younger son, it's the tale of both sons as well as their father. And the in the climax of the story, we'll, we'll see the father and the older son interact. And it's going to teach us a lot about the kingdom of heaven, about the way that God responds to, to us as well. This story, however, is typically named for the younger son. That's why it's called the parable of the prodigal son. And I suppose that if we asked the man on the street or the Christian in the pews and we said, hey, what is a, what's a prodigal? They may pause for a moment and come up with some answer. Maybe they'd turn to their dictionary. Well, I've already done the work for you. So I went into the dictionary to find out exactly what this word prodigal means. The word prodigal is a, an old English word. Uh, we don't use it that much. We still know the word because of this parable. It's basically meant, means a person who spends money in a reckless or extravagant way. And, and you may even know someone like that. Um, someone who's wasteful, a person who is senselessly, sense, senselessly extravagant or, or self-indulgent. And that's the word that is used for this first son. That's why it's typically, this parable is remembered as the wasteful living of this, this first son. A prodigal is an old English word that was used to identify this parable in Bibles that were printed literally hundreds of years ago. And the, and the word survives to this day. The young man is the classic illustration of someone that, that wastes his life, of extravagant self-indulgence. And that's why he's called the, the prodigal son. Wasteful self-indulgence? Isn't that what we have today? We see it so often. I'll come back to, back to that in a minute. So let's get into the story. A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate. So when Jesus said that, you can imagine what the Pharisees thought. Uh, this, is a, this is a young man who is shameful enough to go to his father and ask him for his share of the estate prematurely. It's an outrageous statement when you think of it. Just take it at, at face value. Uh, the man is asking for um, something that's really disrespectful uh, to his father. It's, let's let's uh, determine exactly what we know about this, this young man. We can speculate a little bit. First of all, we know that he's probably young. Uh, he's not married. And in the Jewish culture, men were typically married. It was shameful not to have a, have a wife. So he's probably young. He wants to go uh, sow his wild oats, as they say. Uh, he's probably in his teens or early 20s. But he's utterly disrespectful towards his father. And he really doesn't love his father at all. Uh, there's not, there doesn't seem to be an ounce of gratitude in his heart for the legacy that likely generations of his family had accomplished in order to have the estate that he now wants to take from his father. I don't know about you, but in my family, we didn't talk about trusts or estates or inheritance while mom and dad were young. And, but that's exactly what this, this young man is doing. And, and inheritance is something that the heirs receive when? after the inheritor or the person that has the estate dies. It would be inappropriate for this young man to sh receive a share of the estate until his father had passed. Uh, in looking at this, you could state that the, what the younger son said actually was, Dad, I wish you were dead. Can you imagine? But that's actually what he was saying. Uh, he's saying, Dad, you're, you're in the way of my plans. You're, you're in my way. I wish you'd get out of my way. Uh, you're, a, you're a barrier to what I want for myself. I want my freedom. I want fulfillment. 
and I want all of this now, not at some time in the future. Uh, see, I've got plans, and, and they don't involve you or the family. Uh, they don't involve this estate. I want you to give me what is rightfully mine, and don't ask me what I'm going to do with it. You see, in the Jewish culture, where honor is extremely important, remember in the Jewish culture they had ten commandments, and one of the commandments was honor your father and your mother. Now, in, in some cultures, honoring your father and mother goes so far that it actually becomes ancestor worship. It's not like that way in the Jewish culture. In the Jewish culture, you only would worship God. But fathers were highly esteemed. They were revered. They were, they were respected. So, it, so it's shameful that this man would come to his father and ask for his share of the estate. So we go to the, let's go to the request. He says, give me my inheritance. Um, again, this is a slap in the face to the father. It really is. The, the father is just trying to provide for his family, and then his younger son comes to him with this, this request. A another part of the Jewish culture that we need to understand was when you honor, honoring your father and mother required, was a, a sacred trust. And when you violate that trust, you actually become dead, dead to the father. This is, of course, was a tragic situation for the entire family, as it is today. There's, there's families today that they, they are so separated. There's so much of a disagreement, so much of a chasm between father and son that the father would say, my son is, is dead to me. And really, there's no doubt at this point in the story, the Pharisees and scribes at that time would expect that's exactly what the response of the father would be. Anybody that would be asking for a share of the estate was equivalent to, again, a, a slap in the face. You know, ex that's exactly how this, this parable is worded. It really is. For we see the father even acknowledging the prevailing culture later because it, it says in verse 32, this son of mine was dead. And then later he's talking to the younger son. He says, don't you understand? This brother of yours was dead. So the father's openly acknowledging that the culture of the day would have insisted that from the father and son to have this kind of a strained relationship, the son would be dead to him. Did you know that it was so customary in the time of Jesus that historians tell us that when this type of situation happened, when a father and a son separated, they would actually have a mock funeral for the son? It's, it's just amazing. It's, a, it's a, an example of a, of a betrayal. By the way, let's talk a little bit more about uh, Jewish culture. The inheritance uh, was at, and how the inheritance was actually to be distributed. Uh, we can look in the scriptures in both uh, Deuteronomy as well as a couple other places. It says that the firstborn is to receive a, a double portion. Um, so in Deuteronomy it says, it says, he, the father, must acknowledge the firstborn and give him a, a double share in all that he possesses. For the firstborn uh, son is the first fruits of the man's strength. The right of the firstborn is, is his. Practically speaking, that, this means that for this situation, remember there's two sons, the father's estate would have had to be split into three portions. Two portions to the older son and one portion to this younger, the, the prodigal. And again, when would this happen? When the father dies, but not before. So this younger son, who really had no right at the time, is forcing the father to allocate a portion of the estate to him now. He would be asking for one-third of everything that his father had at the time. Remember, there were no IRAs or 401ks or 
safe deposit boxes back then. There was, there was no money left in reserve. Uh, this was an estate meant that it had land. Uh, and the father had a lot. There was land, there was livestock, there were sheep, goats, donkeys, camels. The father had a lot. In fact, later in the story, we find out that they had servants. Uh, they had musicians and dancers that they hired for the party. Uh, they had hired men who they employed outside their normal family servants. They had animals, including a fatted calf, we find out. They must have had a substantial enough estate that the father could sell off a portion of it in order to give to the son his portion or his allotment, the one-third of the estate. And, you know, this is the first surprise because as we continue, in verse 12 it says, and he, meaning the father, divided his wealth between them. He, he divided the estate just as his son had asked. What a surprise. So step one was to get the father to split the estate, but it didn't take too long for step number two for the prodigal. Because in verse 13, continuing, it says, and not many days later. And this begins the second thing that I told you I wanted you, you to, to listen for, the journey of this prodigal son. First there was a request and then the journey. And we'll see that this journey is nothing more than reckless rebellion. Just a few days later, the verse says, not many days later, see, he, he didn't want to wait very long. He couldn't wait. He'd waited long enough. He's sick of being in his father's presence. He's sick of having any accountability or any relationship with his father or the family. He really has no love for the family, no love for the father. He has, absolutely has no love for his older brother as well. So the younger son gathered everything together which has meant that anything that wasn't cash, he probably converted to cash because he was going on a trip. He needed to take it with him. Remember, these parables are stories with, with meanings. That's why Jesus told them. That's why these are the words in red in your Bibles. These parables illustrate the kingdom of God. This young prodigal son represents the foolishness of any sinner. The sinner wants really nothing to do with God. He wants to get away from what he sees as repressive and restricting. Instead of seeing the family of God through all the opportunities that God has provided, all of the good gifts, the blessings of life, of family and friends, everything that's good that God has put into this world, the sinner wants to get away, to escape, and escape God as well. This parable continues in verse 13. It says that this prodigal went on a journey into a distant country. We, we, not, we may not recognize this, but this is another horror to the Jewish people. Jesus is teaching this parable in Judah, in the land of Israel. By a distant country, Jesus is saying, look what this disrespectful and selfish son is actually doing. He not only takes his inheritance prematurely, that really isn't his until his father dies, but then he leaves his family, including all of his responsibilities, and he goes to a distant country. By that it means a, a Gentile country, a country where there are few Jews. He may have even gone to live among the Samaritans, to the land of Samaria, which was north of Jerusalem. The Gentiles and the Samaritans, they were far from God. Far from God, far from the plan of God. So the rebellion and foolishness continues. Verse 13 says and that when he got into this distant country, he there squandered his estate with prodigal or loose living. 
uh, depending on your translation. It might be, say, squandered. It might say prodigal. Um, again, he just took what he had and he started throwing it away. Uh, loose living, reckless, wasteful, a dissipated life, a debauched life, a, a desolate life. You know, in fact, down in verse 30, the older brother says that he had devoured his wealth with harlots. Now, some people read that and say, well, maybe the older son, when we get to that, is just basically casting, casting aspersions on his younger brother. But remember, there is no older brother. This is the story that Jesus is telling. And Jesus is saying that from the older son's perspective because he wants to introduce that into the story to give us an idea of exactly what this foolish man was actually spending his, his money on. Now, what else would he do? Running as far away as he could uh, eliminates the responsibility, the accountability. He, he holds his money in his hand, but then he goes to this far country trying to get away from his family, and he starts trashing his life. He, we would say that he, he blew it. He, he blew his, his money. As we read this story, we remember this young son represents sinners. The Pharisees and scribes had accused Jesus of associating with sinners, even tax collectors. And, and Jesus didn't dispute that. He, he agreed. This is how sinners live. They rebel. They, they live an immoral life. They have no accountability. They have no moral code, no North Star. These are those that were referred to back in verse 1. These were the tax collectors and the sinners, the outcasts, the irreligious that the scribes and the Pharisees were complaining about. These are those that shun morality in general and evangelical churches today in particular. Uh, they don't want God. They don't want the regulations. They fail to see the good. They only see the restrictions. So they squander their life. You know what we call that? We call that sin. But sin never works out the way you think it may. Verse 14, now when he had spent everything, you see, that's how, that's what happens. Um, we see in story after story that people win the lottery. You know, they, they strike it rich. I remember when the lottery was, a, when the winning was a million dollars and now it's hundreds of millions of dollars. But the stories are the same. It doesn't matter how much money they win, they, they squander it all. They're not prepared to be able to handle the responsibilities of this newfound wealth. It doesn't matter how much it is. Or they have no core. They have no sensibility. They have no foundation. So they, they party. What do they do? They buy Ferraris and Lamborghinis and Bugattis. Uh, for those with less money, it's the same thing they, without the expensive cars. They, they drink their money away. They, they spend it on wine, women, and song. Uh, they sink into the pit called drug abuse. And they'll abuse any sense, substance, quite frankly, they can get their hands on, as long as the money holds out. Uh, this is exactly what the prodigal son did. He, he partied. And when he partied, he collected all kinds of people that liked to party, that, who wanted to cash in on his generosity, his foolish generosity. He, he bought friends that really weren't friends at all. They were just riffraff and the lowlifes. And finally, he runs out of money. He spends everything. And verse 14 says that it was his fault. But the verse continues. Then there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. That's verse 15. 
Now, the famine was not his fault. Spending all the money was, but the, the famine was not. That's just how, how life is, especially back in Israel. Some things are your fault and some things are not, but the combination of timing can sometimes be disastrous. You know, life is like that. The book of Proverbs has lots of wise counsel on careful living, on, on doing things proportionally and carefully so that you are prepared for times like this, times of famine. Now, in Jesus' time, people knew famine. You know, we, we really don't have a clue. Uh, they knew of famines pretty much like people in Florida know about hurricanes. Uh, you need to prepare because every summer they come. Now, famines, however, are not hurricanes. They are much more horrible. The crops disappear. There's no longer any harvest. The animals die. People have nothing to eat. When Jesus mentions famine, this is the picture in the minds of all of the people that were listening to him at the time. The prodigal son made some really bad decisions, but his timing could have not have been worse. And the Pharisees and the scribes listening to the story now are feeling the weight of the horror of his life as, he, as the story continues. The prodigal son eventually hits bottom. Verse 14 says, he began to be in need. You know, this is likely the first time that this young man was really ever in need, ever in lack. This was a wealthy family, a son of a wealthy father. They had supplies, they had means. They had likely survived famines in the past because of their estate. But this time, this young man was on his own. So like typical sinners, he comes with a, a plan. Uh, his first plan, plan A, is it says he went and attached himself to one of the citizens of the country. See, that's the first thing that happens. All of a sudden you realize, well, maybe I need a job. Maybe I need to go find a way to, to get some, some resources, to get some money so that I can feed myself. Now, when he asked for his inheritance, he never likely thought he would have to go back to work at some time in the future. He never considered that these resources that his father had were actually limited. Even though his family had probably gathered this over generations, he was going to spend it quickly. But he spent his, when he spent his last denarius, he had to do something. Now this word citizen that's used in, this, in this, uh, these verses is important. What, what a citizen means, it means not a person of lowly stature, a man of, but it's a man of wealth. A, a person that's that's known. If this was the uh, Middle East, if this was uh, the Middle Ages, it would be a, a noble, a, a lord. Uh, but it was a citizen at the time of of uh, Jesus. Uh, he's given a, a certain place in the city role. He found someone. This this prodigal son found somebody that had had means, had an opportunity to to give him employment, and and it says that he he stuck to him. In fact, the word is gula which is actually the word we get glue from. Yeah, he stuck himself to this guy. Uh, but, the, but, the, but the verse continues. The prodigal son is, is surprised because the job he has is really no job at all. It says this, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate. And no one gave him anything. So instead of a job, he finds that he's nothing much more than a, a slave. Now, the man says, go feed the pigs. Now, not only doesn't the job pay, but this is a, this is a Jewish boy. 
there's nothing probably worse for the Jewish boy than to go in and feed the pigs. But he's in a Gentile land, and these are not Jews. So he's just an indentured servant in a country that's not his own. In, in every respect, he's, a, a, he's really a slave, an indentured servant and, and no more. In the verse in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, as well as other Old Testament passages, indicate that Jews could not eat pork or spend times with pigs because they were unclean. But that's exactly where he is. He's, he's hit bottom. And I can tell you, I don't know if you've ever been around pigs, but my wife Carol and I have. And right after we got married, we lived a little bit further out in the country. And it was farmland. In fact, one of my best friends, in fact, the best man at my wedding, lived in a farm. And next to his farm was a pig farm. And the smell was, was what a stench. In fact, there was no way to really describe it unless you've actually smelled it. The smell of, of pigs just laying around in their own slop. But this was a Jewish boy. Can you imagine what it was like for him? And if you have, if you have no empathy yet, the next verse you should have some empathy because it says no one was giving anything to him. Uh, you know, see, this wasn't tough love. This was, this was no love at all. These people he had associated with himself with this distant country, this was not his home. He, they were not his people. In Israel, there was charity. There was hospitality. There was a law that required that when crops were harvested, for example, in Israel, that they, the edges of the crops were not to be gleaned. They were not to be harvested. It was supposed to be left for the poor, the destitute, people that had nothing else so they could come into your field and, and get something to eat. But this wasn't the situation where he was. He had, he had nothing, nothing at all. Um, however, this situation actually works a lot like tough love because he had bottomed out and now he was going to take a, a turn for the better. Verse 17 says, but when he came to himself, you see, this, this young man had run as far away from his father as he could possibly get. He gave his father no thought, no regard, no concern. He took what his generous father had provided and he wasted it in self-indulgence and sin and unrestrained lust. He did what he had been taught was evil and selfish and contrary to the father's will and he, he did it willingly. How did he end up? Well, he ended up bankrupt, both physically, emotionally, and spiritually as well. His life was now empty. He had nowhere to turn. In a famine, there would be numerous casualties, and he was about to become one of them. This wasn't supposed to be how it was supposed to work out. When he had this plan, when he was going to take part of his estate from his father, he had never expected that this is actually what would happen to him. Finally, however, he was exhausted. He had no other choice. He woke up, or as the verse says, he came to himself. The decision was to go back home, and his decision was initially motivated by a desire to, to survive, to improve his own situation in desperate need. He said to himself, verse 17, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here from hunger. He suddenly realized it was better to cast himself on his father's mercy than to remain in a distant land, living a life lower than the unclean animals and suffering from great hunger. His realization, however, turns sincere, as his sincerity is seen by the confession he just, in the next verse, makes. Verse 18, he says, I will arise and go to my father, 
and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. You know, and it's in this verse is what the, what the prodigal son expresses. We learn a little bit about true repentance. If you recall, I taught that to repent means to, to change your mind, to turn. The Greek word that is translated as repent and repentance is metanoia. It's really two, a compound word, two different Greek words, meta, which is to change, and noia, which is a thought or your mind, to, to change your mind. The prodigal son changed his mind and he came to his senses. He remembered and he expressed sour, sorrow, not for what he had lost, for all of the money that he had spent, or what had even happened to him, but for what he had done and who he had done it to. He had sinned. You see, sin is a transgression. He had missed the mark. He did what was clearly contrary to, to the will of God for his life. He recognized that his sin was first against God. I have sinned against heaven, he said. Sin is always a sin against God. God before anyone else. But he also sinned against his father, and he saw this as well. He said, Father, I have sinned against you. And that's exactly the right thing to do. In verse 19, it says, he says, For I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. You know, the, the young man, Metanoia, he, he changed his way of thinking. The important point here is the son not only returns, it's how he returns to the father. He says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Imagine a different situation. Imagine instead he came back and he said, Hey, listen, I'm still your son. I still have your last name. I still have every right to be with you. But that's not what he, he says at all. The parable is actually telling us that it would be a very dangerous thing to base the assurance of our salvation by claim to sonship. It would be foolish to come before the Lord after squandering your life, rejecting the moral compass that God has put into your heart and soul. It would be foolish to come to the Lord, bang on the gates of heaven, and yell out to God, Hey God, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I'm called in some circles by your name. I, I was baptized, remember? 25 years ago, I, I was baptized. You have to let me in because after all, I'm your son. But that would be dangerous. Because in another parable, Jesus says, Depart from me, for I never knew you. We don't return to the Father. We don't gain admittance into the Father's house because of a claim of sonship. We gain entrance into the kingdom of God through surrender. This is exactly what the prodigal son is now doing as he comes to his senses. He's waving a symbolic white flag. Now, surrender is a, a battle term. When a person or a people surrender, they surrender all their rights to the conqueror, the victor. When an opposing army surrenders, they lay down their arms, and the winner takes all. Uh, in 1945, the empire of Japan surrendered. Many people live today still remember that event. When an opposing army surrenders, just as Japan did, they lay down their arms and they rely on the grace and the good nature of the conqueror. Surrendering to God works exactly the same way. God has a good plan for our life. And surrendering to the Father means that we set aside our plans, our lives, 
and we then live for Him. It's our desires that pass away, and the desires that we have instead are the desires that God gives for us. So we're at the end now of this part one of the prodigal, the, the parable of the prodigal son. This young son, the prodigal son, leaves, but ultimately returns to his father's home. We see for the first time what repentance truly looks like. Next week, we'll look at the response of the father and also of the older son. God bless. Have a great day, and we'll see you soon. You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.